0: It's almost like if you look at splashy head coaching hires, is that an indicator of future movement? SC it was, Texas it was, Colorado was it? We're gonna find out. You can always find just a little nugget of information Am I grasping at straws? Perhaps I'll explain why if you stick with us just for a little bit, because there are a few examples of guys that have been hired that were considered splashy hires. And then, next thing you know, their team are off to another league or greener pastures, if you will. I'm Greg McElroy. Thanks for being with us. It's always college football. We got Jake Garcia, Jack Foster, and Mark Kubiak alongside as well. We have a terrific show for you today. We're going to talk about Colorado. Are they going to the Big 12? And are they coming? with Arizona. What does this mean for the Pac-12? What does this mean for the future of the league? Are they going to be able to continue to do business the way they've done business for a really long time if Colorado and Arizona leave? And then if they leave, maybe some other people follow. And then, of course, we're going to talk about the mailbag. A bunch of very interesting questions. Kirby Smart had some interesting comments last week about conference championship games and playing in the conference championship game might devalue some of the things that you did. We'll discuss that. I don't think he necessarily meant it the way it was interpreted by some, but we'll discuss that and say exactly why conference championships still matter, especially in a 12-team format with a couple tweaks that I think need to happen. We're also going to talk a little bit about the outdoor game being played at Ford Field. That's right. Outdoor. Not true was outdoor. Now it's indoor at Ford Field between Penn State and Michigan State at the end of the season. We'll talk about that game as well. And then, of course, we haven't had a chance to really hit it yet. We talked about it a little bit last week. Tried to prepare you for it. Eight game versus nine game SEC schedule. So a lot that we need to get to, but let's start with Colorado and the possible move to the Big 12. Are the Buffaloes en route back to the Big 12? I can't cite every single source. I just can't because I have gone through a laundry list of sources over the last handful of days that said it's basically a done deal that Colorado and Arizona are heading to the Big 12. Now, what does this mean in the near term? In the near term, not a whole lot. But down the road, naturally, there's going to be some dominoes that are ultimately going to fall. Does this mean that they're going to come alone? Does this mean that the Big 12 are now possibly going to be bringing along Utah, Arizona State? Do they go after Oregon and Washington? All these things need to be flushed out, and I would imagine that they'll be flushed out very, very soon. Let's talk about it specific to Colorado and why this makes sense. I, I wonder, too, and look, I'm I'm not a conspiracy theorist per se. I am a little bit, but not to the extremes. Like I don't believe that you know, UFOs are going over our head and stuff like that. Are there UFOs out there? Possibly. But like, I'm not, you know, I've seen weird objects in the sky too. I don't think they're aliens, right? So, I I mean, I'm not a crazy conspiracy theorist, but I do think that there are some parallels to when these administrators, when they realize what's going to be going down in the near term, they take a real big swing with their head coaching position in football. Now, let's just look at some of the options, okay? Texas, they had Tom Herman, Things weren't going poorly, by the way. Tom Herman and Texas had won a lot of big games. Now, granted, they hadn't won the Big 12. There have been several disappointing performances. There had been several upsets in his tenure. But by all accounts, you talk to any person that had watched Texas over the course of Tom Herman's tenure, you wouldn't sit there and say, yeah, you know what? That's a program that's a dead end. They can't get over the hump. They just can't quite get it done. Nobody would have said that. But they decided to let Tom Herman go. They ultimately bring in Steve Sarkeesian, And then six months later, they announce that they're heading to the SEC. Was there some type of arrangement being made by the administration saying, yeah, you know what? We're not going to be able to handle the new league with this guy. Whether they agree with that, whether I agree with that or not, it's not up to me. So let's look potentially at a guy that could maybe take us to the next level. They felt like that was Steve Sarkeesian. They decided to move. Let's go next to USC. USC, did their administration think that there was at some point maybe going to be a move to the Big Ten? So in order to get out in front of it, they say, yeah, who's the biggest, baddest dude on the block that would be willing to potentially come be the head coach of the Trojans? Oh, Lincoln Riley? Perfect. Let's swing on him. They give him $100-plus plus million he He's got that beautiful house right there in Southern California, and boom, USC is immediately a contender. And then Colorado, this past off season, they think, you know what? We're kind of a middle-of-the-road, bottom-tier program with where we're at right now. We haven't done anything of significance with any level of consistency in quite a while. So we got a swing. They go out, they get Deion Sanders, arguably the biggest free agent in the coaching pool this past off season. All of a sudden, Colorado goes from an afterthought To the headline conversation of just about every single offseason storyline. So I'm not saying that there's necessarily an indicator with some coaching moves that have been made. But there's three examples in which they could kind of see what was potentially coming and wanted to upgrade their head coaching situation. Same can be said with what went on in the American, although it was a little bit different. I mean, the American FAU had a new head coach, ironically enough, Tom Herman. Uh, Charlotte, new head coach, a handful of others, new head coaches. UCF, did they know that they were going to the Big 12 immediately? They get bringing Gus on. all these other things. You look at it, it's almost like if you look at splashy head coaching hires, is that an indicator of future movement? SC it was, Texas it was, Colorado was it? We're going to find out. Brent Yormark, though, the commissioner of the Big 12, has clearly been outspoken. I've heard from sources for months that they were heavily in pursuit of UConn, trying to get UConn into the Big 12, even though UConn had just left the American. They're back in the Big East. The football program is actually doing quite well under the circumstances under Coach Jim Mora. But the basketball program is what everybody wants. And obviously, they win the national championship. Now, well, hey, UConn, Gonzaga, you guys come on down. Everybody needs to be a part of the Big 12. Brent Yormark is going out and blazing that trail right now. So am I surprised to hear that Colorado might be in line to jump into the Big 12? Not even the slightest bit. The one that surprised me, to be completely honest, was Arizona. I thought Arizona would be in lockstep with Arizona State. I thought those two would kind of travel together. Not the case. Arizona State has a massive undergraduate population, They're obviously in the heart of Tempe, Arizona, which is right between Phoenix and Scottsdale. So I thought Arizona State would be a really appealing school to consider. Now, you look at where they're at with football up and down. But new head coach, new head coach, let's take a swing. Let's go get Kenny Dillingham. Obviously, it wasn't working under Herm Edwards. So understandably that they would want to go in this direction. So they go, get Kenny Dillingham, I thought that might be an indicator. Hey, maybe they're going to head with Arizona to the Big 12 at some point. I just never thought that those two schools would potentially, I guess, they're in lockstep. I never thought they'd get out of order in an effort to move somewhere together. What does this all mean for where things are going with the Big 12? Now, I think when you look at the Big 12's quality, top to bottom. You can make a really strong argument, really, really strong, that it is the third best college football league. Now, this year, this year exclusively, I think the Pac-12 would carry that banner. The ACC, there's going to be some high-quality football being played in the ACC this year. We know Clemson going to be pretty good. We hope that Miami bounces back. Everyone's really bullish on Florida State. What is North Carolina going to do with Drake May? What is NC State going to do with Brennan Armstrong? So I'm optimistic about the ACC, but right now I think the Pac-12, with how many quarterbacks come back, how much experience is on a lot of those rosters, the Pac-12 probably number three, but I'll tell you what, 3B, 3C kind of feels fairly even across the board. But down the road a little bit, think about where the Big 12 is going to be. BYU has won a national championship, albeit not in my lifetime. It's a team that's won a national championship. National and in some cases international following, and a program that has played as an independent against top tier competition for a really long time. UCF has won a national championship. Whether you want to count it as a national championship is up to you. But in the bounce house, 2017 national champs, there was a publication that awarded them a national championship. I'm not saying you have to acknowledge it, but for all intents and purposes, we will acknowledge it here. Cincinnati, a team that's been in the playoff, Houston has been a team that has won New Year's six games. We're talking about four new additions that have been big-time difference makers for quite some time. And you think about Oklahoma State. Think about Oklahoma State in the last decade. so let's take it back 12 years. To include 2011, think about the great teams that Oklahoma State has had. Some people thought they should have been playing for the national championship back in 2011. They ultimately came up short. But either way, a program that has been sustainable for quite a while. TCU, playoff team on the cusp of being a playoff team multiple times. Baylor has been on the cusp of being a playoff team multiple times. Kansas State just won the league last year. Doesn't look like they're going anywhere right now. So look at the quality in the Big 12. And albeit maybe not the biggest brands, I can live personally as a diehard college football fan. I'm not necessarily going to be moved by brands the same way other people will. I get that if you're a casual and you see a... An Ohio State game up against USC, yeah, that's going to move the needle. Will will for me, too. But I'm going to be just as intrigued by watching Oregon State play against South Carolina. OSU, USC, yeah, I'll watch both. I prefer the Trojans against the Buckeyes. I'll take the Beavers against the Gamecocks, too, if that's the best available in that time window. The Big 12, I think, recognizes this. And while they might not have those banner-carrying brands, they have really high-quality coaches within the league, and they have really high-quality personnel. And that's what Brett Yormark is trying to take advantage of. You think about some of the things he said publicly, saying, hey, we need to get our coaches, we need to get our players in front of the camera with microphones on access in games. For those that have watched the XFL or the USFL, you look at the access within the games. I'm not saying that you have to consume a ton of spring football, but the access that you get within the games where you're having in-game coaches interviews that aren't at halftime, in-game coaches interviews that might be in the middle of the second quarter, in-game player interviews after a big play or a good play or a bad play. That makes me As a fan of college football, that makes me more intrigued with the stories that are being told throughout that league. Brett Yormark has been very upfront about making sure that the television broadcasts are going to incorporate way more access when involving the Big 12, when involving some of the other leagues that we've seen up to this point. Another thing that he's tried to do, we've talked about it here on this program, say we're going to play international games. We're going to try to get to Mexico. We're going to try to captivate the audience in an area of the world that has had college football in the past, but maybe not as much as they could potentially handle. You take UCF and BYU, you play them in Mexico City. Guess what? That's going to move the needle. Used to be you'd take teams on the road for recruiting purposes. Not anymore. Now it's about generating fandom. And if you start playing enough games with your teams in the Big 12 down in Mexico City, there's going to be a contingent of fans in Mexico City that's going to support some of the brands within your league. So Brent Yormark's been really outspoken about that. And then the continued aggressiveness to try to improve the number of teams. Now, I've always said right now in college football, there is strength in numbers. Now, you don't want to water down your product. Okay. You don't want to add teams just for the sake of adding teams. That would be doing yourself a disservice. When the distributions are as follows say you're spending 44 million, 50 million a year per school. Well, if you add a school that's not going to generate that much buzz, are they carrying their weight? I can't answer that. Probably not. Right. Let's say, for instance, for simple math purposes, everyone in the Big 12, 50 million bucks each. That's what everybody gets with the new deal when it kicks in here in the next year or two. That's what everybody will get. Simple math. You bring in Arizona, are they worth 50 million? I don't know. You bring in Colorado with what Dion's already done. Are they worth 50 million? Perhaps. And you think about where Dion played his professional football. I know he's with San Francisco for a bit, but when I think Deion Sanders, I think about Dallas. I think about the Dallas Cowboys. I know that he was in the running just a couple years ago to be the head coach at TCU. He was one of the finalists alongside Sonny Dykes. Why? Because of his connection to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And they think that he's going to be able not just recruit nationally, but do a great job recruiting in the Lone Star State. It all makes sense when you start to align some of the stars that have happened over the last couple of years. I love what's going on in the Big 12. I think that Brett Yormark is a trailblazer. I think he is the energizer bunny that will not stop until he feels as though they have planted the flag as the third best league in college football. What does this mean for the Pac-12? Are they a dead man walking? Certainly feels that way at the moment, right? You lose Colorado, you lose Arizona. What's going to happen if for whatever reason, the Big 12, Big 10, excuse me, or the Big 12 for that matter, you want to take Washington, Oregon. Hey, guess what? The money that's being handed out in the Pac-12 is only $25 million per school. Well, guess what? In the Big 12, they're doubling that potentially with their new deal. So why would Oregon, why would Washington not strongly consider joining the Big 12, even if it's just for a little bit before they ultimately get the invite to the Big 10? Assuming that invite comes. We don't know that it's going to. We know they've been vetted. But I happen to be a believer that if they were going to be in the Big 10 or they were going to be extended an invitation into the Big Ten, they would have already gotten that. That's at least my assumption. Because what good does it do to allow them to twist in the wind right now and flail as the Pac-12's trying to figure out exactly what they're going to do? And you think about the Pac-12 too. The people that are bidding on their rights are having a difficult time getting teams to sign a grant of rights deal. They don't want to end up like the ACC where... The ACC schools are all tied up for 12 years and they can't do anything. So the schools are saying, yeah, I'm not I'm not signing that. I'm not signing up to be in the Pac-12 for an extended period of time. These schools leave, we're out too. The next thing you know, the Pac-12 will collapse upon itself like a dying star. I think it's a really difficult situation to be in if you're George Klyovkov. I'm not envious of his situation. It's a difficult spot. There's still quality football players. There's still quality teams. There's still quality brands. But right now they are getting left in the dust by every other member of the college football world.
1: McElroy, the way college football seems like it can take forever to make changes, what's being done at Colorado in the last six months is remarkable. I mean, they've had one winning season in Pac-12 history, and yet they hire Deion Sanders, they remake a roster, and now all of a sudden the Big 12 comes calling, and hey, do you want more money to come here? Is this a blueprint for future teams and, and universities to say, hey, if we're struggling? You mentioned the coaching but like hire a big name, or is this kind of a one off that you think just happens with Deion Sanders in Colorado?
0: Well, the Sharks are in the water right now. I mean, right now, the opportunity to leave is there. And if you can potentially align yourself with a league that's going to have better visibility, potentially, because we're hearing already about the Pac 12 squand- squandering TV media rights deal and. Right now, Big 12, they got a rights deal. They have solid partners that are going to put their games on a big time platform. The Pac-12, they might very well end up with a exclusive deal with a streaming service that won't have the distribution of a Fox or a CBS or an NBC or an ESPN would have. So not only financially are you better served going to the Big 12, but also from a program visibility standpoint, you're better served going to the Big 12 as well. So the Sharks are circling. Brent Yormark is going after every team that will listen. I know he's got a lot of irons in the fire as far as trying to figure out, hey, would would you be interested? Would you be interested? Would you be listening? Would you be listening? I know there's a lot of speculation, but I happen to think all the speculation is real. And I happen to think too that Colorado would be really well served getting back into the Big 12, a league where in the early 2000s, they had a ton of success. Summer is just around the corner and it might be the best one yet. Thanks to Summer of Dash Pass from DoorDash. With a Dash Pass membership, you can save big now through July 19th on swimsuits, beach snacks, sunscreen, and more. With Summer of Dash Pass, you'll enjoy $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on all eligible orders, making it easier and more affordable than ever to stock up on your favorite summertime essentials. That's not all. You'll also get access to thousands of offers nationwide, ensuring that this summer is one to remember. So kick back, relax, and let Dash Pass help you experience the best of your neighborhood for less. Experience a summer like no other. Best your best summer with a Dash Pass membership from DoorDash today. Sign up for DashPass now and you'll receive your first month free. Plus, when you use our promo code, get 50% off up to $10 in value when you spend $15 or more on your next DashPass order. When you download DoorDash app and enter code Summer, that's 50% off when you spend $10 or more on your next DashPass order when you download the DoorDash app and enter code ACF Summer, Don't forget, code ACF Summer for 50% off your next order. Subject to change, terms apply.
2: This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be.
0: As always, we love to interact with our listeners as often as we can. You guys are coming out of the woodwork, man. We have so appreciated the interaction. We have so many questions we have to get to. It's almost to the point in which we're almost the littlest bit overwhelmed. I promise we'll get there. But keep sending them in, man. When they are applicable to the show that we're doing today, we're going to try to get a question in from a listener because we love the interaction. Always collegefootball at gmail.com. Always CFB on both Instagram and Instagram and on Twitter, so on our social media channels. Also, give us a follow, if you will, on there as well. Always CFB on both Instagram and on Twitter. Goose, where are we going today?
1: All right, first one comes from Steve in Atlanta. Asks, what are your thoughts on Kirby Smart's comments regarding the SEC championship in the new expanded playoffs, saying that it benefits teams that don't have to go to Atlanta? I understand why this
0: is fresh on Kirby Smart's mind. Think back to 2017. Kirby Smart and his Georgia Bulldogs won the SEC championship game. They beat Auburn in the SEC title. Alabama at 11-1, stayed at home. Alabama ultimately got into the college football playoff, where they ultimately met up with Georgia and beat them for the national championship. So I understand why this is a very pointed discussion, especially as it relates to Kirby Smart. Here's where I disagree with him. One, I think a first-round buy is massive. Massive. And the only way you can get the first round by is by playing in and winning the SEC championship game. You have to win your conference. That's the only way you can get that first round by. Okay. So especially the SEC, of course, too. So you win the SEC championship, especially when it's a one versus two and there's no divisions. You're in the top four in the original college football playoff 12 team format. So that's massive. The other thing I've already proposed on this channel before, if we are going to strengthen conference championship games, strengthen them. And I want conference championship games to be the end all be all. Why? Because that's what it was when I was growing up, man. Winning your conference was like the biggest thing ever. And if you got a shot at the title, you got a shot at the title. It's great. But winning your conference was every team's goal going into the season. Win your division, win your conference, beat your rival. Those are pretty much unanimous across the board. So... What I would like to do, and I've already talked about this, I want to see the second round of the college football playoff in the 12-team format, the second round be played at home. I'd love to see that. Now, the first two years not going to happen. They're going to be part of the New Year's Six. Now, of course, you win your conference, you're going to get geographic, I guess, advantages. So if you're Georgia, you play in Atlanta, depending on the year. If you're Georgia, you play in, or in Miami, depending on the year. If you're... Texas, you play in Dallas. If you're, you know, Ohio State and you want to go to the Rose Bowl because it's familiar terrain, that's where you might go based on geographic advantages. So there are some advantages, obviously, to winning your conference title, even in the current format. But remember, this is a two year trial period. There's two years where we're going to look at everything. Does it work? Does it not work? Let's adjust this, adjust that. Let's see how things work out. So you're going to likely Get to an opportunity where you host a game on your home court or on your home field at some point in the future. I personally would love that. I'd also like to see something put into the college football playoff format that if you win your conference, okay, you even if you don't get a first round by, because remember, there's six automatic qualifiers. There's six automatic qualifiers. If you win your conference, you're ranked one, two, three, four, five, six meaning teams five and six that don't get that first round by, you already had to play in your conference title game. You already won that game. That to me feels a little bit like a playoff, especially for some leagues, especially in the group of five. That already feels like a playoff game. You should at the very least get to host the first round playoff game. Now that's not written in the bylaws right now. The group of five champion, if you will, might be ranked ninth, which means they're going to have to go on the road or 12th, and they might have to go on the road. I would like to see that abandoned. So if you win your league, you get a home playoff game or you get a first round bye. That to me would be a good way of making sure that conference championship games still remain really important here in the ecosystem of college football.
1: I got a bonus to add on to that. Just out of curiosity, if you had a two versus a four in the SEC championship game and the number four team loses, how far down would you drop them? Do they get penalized a lot because they lost a championship game, but they still have a host. But, you know, the further down you move, the tougher the game, in theory, becomes.
0: To me, no, you don't get to host. I just told you how I'd adjust it, Coops. Come on, stay with us. (laughs) I personally would like to see only conference champions in the buys or with home games. Now, obviously, 5-6 will have to host. 7-8 will have to host. okay. Can a team that loses in the conference title game be slotted in the 7 or 8 hole, meaning they would host teams 9 or 10? Yeah, that that would be perfectly okay with me. You do get penalized a little bit for putting it all out there, but guess what? You win, look at the reward. You get to either host or you get to first round by, which is massive. So uh, I think that there's going to be some tweaking to be done there and something that will need to get adjusted. But yes, I think there should be something on the line of conference title game. You lose, even if it's against really high-quality competition. Guess what? You get bounced out. You might still host, but you might not. Now you're at the mercy of the committee.
1: Okay, moving on. Kevin from Ohio. The SEC has been beating their chest, rightfully so, for the last 15 years. But after choosing to stay at eight conference games in 2024, seems like they took the easy way out. Do you agree... And do you think the conference cares about the negative publicity?
0: One, the conference does not care about negative publicity. Because if you listen to Greg Sankey, he was adamant. He joined Paul Feinbaum last week. He said, last time I checked, we played in the final game of the season last year, the national championship game, and we won that game 65 to 7. Those were Greg Sankey's words. So they're not really that concerned about what the perception of the league is because they believe they can stand on their own merits. Now, whether you agree with that or not is up to each individual person. Now, I personally strongly dislike the eight-game schedule. But it's not because it's weaker or you get an extra group of five FCS opponent. That irritates me. That really irritates me, but there's nothing that can be done about it because you have to find people to fill out those schedules. But what makes me most mad about the eight-game schedule is the fact that you are getting rid of potential permanent rivals. Like I told you, I've been a strong supporter of the three plus six model. Three permanent rivals, six teams that rotate on your schedule every other year. That's the way I would do it because I think that games like Alabama and LSU should continue to be played. I think Auburn and Georgia should continue to be played. I think Texas and Texas A&M should be played every single year. But in a one plus seven model, that obviously can't happen. What I would say is that while everybody is really furious with the SEC right now, understandably so, totally get it. I'm frustrated as well. I want the best possible games each and every week for the fans. I want the home scheduled to be massive for the season ticket holders. I want the best games possible. Okay, FCS games against high-level SEC competition does absolutely nothing for me. I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. I understand that the FCS teams need the money. I get it. I understand the financial challenges that FCS teams have. So those money games keep those programs afloat. I get it. Surely there's another way of us being able to subsidize the FCS programs. But I want to see the nine-game conference schedule. I also know, too, that there have already been a lot of teams that have scheduled two power five opponents in each of the next few years. For instance, Alabama here in 2027, they have West Virginia and Ohio State. And if they're not going to make more money from ESPN by going to a nine-game schedule, then they are going to have to pay out of their own pocket to cancel one of those games and to get out of those things. So I can understand the financial aspect of that. But the biggest issue to me by a mile is the possibility of losing the rivalries. And and that to me is something that I just cannot stand. The good news is, this is a one-year solution for the time being. Now, if you really want to see me lose my mind, or if you, as someone that hates or loves the SEC, if you really want to lose your mind, whether for the good or for the bad, let's talk a year from now. Because when they go to Destin... At the beginning of June in 2024, and they continue an eight game conference schedule, that's when you're going to have me freak out. But as of right now, this eight game schedule is a one year bridge year to bring in Texas and Oklahoma and to kind of make sure that they can seamlessly move into 2025, 2026, and beyond. So I'm not going to lose my mind just yet. It's not worth it. But if they decide to vote next year and keep the eight-game schedule beyond the one-year bridge year, that's when I think there's going to be a lot of people throwing some serious heat at the SEC, and understandably so. All
1: right, last question today comes from Rochelle in Pennsylvania. Do you like the Penn State-Michigan State game moving to Black Friday at Ford Field? It takes all the elements out of the game, and there are a lot of people with mixed feelings about it.
0: I'm fine with it being played on Black Friday. I am not fine with it being played at Ford Field. Uh, and I, I, we've talked about this already a little bit when we discussed the Big Ten situation with Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan and how there's kind of an unwritten rule or it is written, but you know they don't talk about it, that they don't play at night in November. And I, and I get that. Look, I know it's cold up there. I played for the Bengals. Like, I know that it's really cold. They're in Cincinnati or in Ohio, or we played against the Buffalo Bills in week 17, multiple times. Like I I know it's cold. I get it. But to me, what makes Big Ten football awesome are the elements. What you might have to play at Wisconsin in two inches of snow. That's unique. When we watch Maction on Tuesday nights, how cool is it to see these guys going out in sub-zero temperatures at times and leaving it all on the field? It's synonymous with that part of the world. Like When I think about Michigan, the state of Michigan, not the University of or Michigan State, the state, the actual state itself, when I think Michigan in late November, I think snow, I think frigid temperatures, and I think tough people that go out there shirtless, paint their chest, and just bear it throughout the course of the game. And the fact that they're trying to make it easier, I just don't understand what the thought process is. I mean, lean into that. Like lean into that. When I watch games in the FCS, in the playoffs, I saw a game a couple years ago at Montana and it was 14 below zero. Cam Newton was in the stands. You couldn't even see him because he was so wrapped up because his brother was playing on the other team. Like embrace that. That's part of what makes that part of the country a really cool part of the country. So I don't necessarily love the idea of moving to a big corporate venue at the end of the year in what would be considered a, quote, rivalry game. So I don't love that, but I love that it's being played on Black Friday. And I love that it's going to have a huge audience there uh, and a nighttime venue there for NBC.
2: visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets, that expire in seven days in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel.
0: We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Another big piece on the recruiting trail has landed. He's going to be heading to Portal U, Ole Miss. Zakari Franklin, formerly of UTSA, has officially announced his intent to transfer to the Ole Miss Rebels. Now, why is this significant? You might not be that familiar with Zakari Franklin. Well, you need to familiarize yourself quickly. The guy had 1,100 yards last year, 15 touchdowns, which was second nationally in all of college football. This is a massive get for Lane Kiffin, because if you look at when Lane Kiffin has been at his best as a play caller, and he's not going to necessarily be calling the plays, Charlie Weiss Jr. will, but either way, long, long story short, Lane Kiffin's offense works best when they have a super dynamic wide receiver that can play inside and out. And especially a guy that that can do a lot of things in the slot. You think back to his time at Alabama, how he moved Amari Cooper around. You think back to his time at Alabama, how he moved Calvin Ridley around. You look at his time early on with what he did with Elijah Moore at Ole Miss. And now he gets the opportunity to bring in a... Real, real difference maker in Zakari Franklin from UTSA. He's going to go alongside another guy from the portal in Trey Harris, who's kind of your bigger body, more of a possession guy. And then Franklin's kind of your do-it-all guy. And then not to be outdone, Quinshawn Judkins returns for his second year at running back. So when you look at Ole Miss's schedule, and you just go all the way down the bottom, We've all talked already about the SEC West and the perceived strength at the top of the league. We know that LSU's legit, we know that Alabama's legit, and we think here at Always College Football, or I think uh, I won't put it on Coobs, Jack and Jake. I think and AM has a big bounce back year. But I had thought that those 3 had kind of separated and the bottom 4 were kind of interchangeable. Any given week, someone could beat someone else. Now, I'm feeling more confident with the arrival of Franklin, some of the other pieces, including what might be an improved Jackson Dart, what could be if Jackson Dart loses his position to Spencer Sanders, a healthy Spencer Sanders, some of the pieces that they've added along the defensive line, and Pete Golding defensively, who's the new defensive coordinator. You look at Ole Miss, man. They are going to be a real problem here in 2023. I think you can buy low on them right now. I'm just telling you, buy low on right now, because they will pull off an upset. I don't know where it's going to come. I'm not going to predict it right now. There will be an upset pulled by Ole Miss this year, and I would not at all be surprised if it's a team that is eight wins plus if they can pull off one of those big upsets. So, non-conference schedule, very gettable. I and mean, need take into account an SEC's, SEC West schedule, which is a grind, no doubt about it. You get Vandy as your crossover. You have some other opportunities to potentially pull off some upsets, but man, Ole Miss could be a problem. Don't sleep on the Rebels this year, especially if they can improve along the defensive front, which I think they have already have with some of the additions they've made in the transfer portal. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please like, rate, and subscribe. And I can't stress that enough. You guys took to that last week, and I really appreciate it too. It helps us out a lot. We're trying to spread the word. We don't have a huge marketing budget. We're not out You know, pushing things. And we don't have a crazy big social media team. Jack handles it. He does an amazing job. But we really need your help. So every time you like on the YouTube page, or if you subscribe on one of the podcast sites, whether it's Spotify or an Apple podcast, it really goes a long way to helping us out. And then if you could take just a couple more seconds, if you do both those things, if you could go on and leave us a review, or if you could go on and leave us a rating. Whether it's five stars, four stars, and whatever you think of the podcast, a rating or a subscription would be a massive help. So thank you so much already for what you've done already in the first 11 months of Always College Football's Lifeline. We're going to continue to churn out content. We're going to continue to churn out a lot of great college football conversations. So we look forward to continue to do that throughout the course of this week, the rest of June. And then, of course, as we get into July when football season gets a little bit closer. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Jake, Jack, Mark, I'm Greg. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's Always College Football.